Welcome to episode 125 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Nestroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, guys, we have finally made it to the final season of Fringe. We will be talking about the season premiere of Fringe, season five, entitled Trans Unifier Number 11. So, Matt, with all that being said and out of the way, do you want a egg stick? Absolutely not. <laughs> not a chance. So here we are in 2036. The fifth season of Fringe that kicks off with a very quick recap. But if you missed Letters in Transit, you are probably scratching your head going, huh? What? Because this does just pick up and continue that story from that seemingly standalone episode of the fourth season and advances us to this future where the observers have taken over the world. And we do flash back a little bit to see what happened on the day they arrived and figure out how everything got this bad. And as it's going to become more aware as we continue the podcast during this fifth season of Fringe, my favorite parts of Fringe, as I have said previous, are the Olivia Peter relationship, which I really like, the dynamic between them and Walter as they are doing real world stuff when it's Fringe is basically a cousin of the X-Files and we're having fun with the weird and goofy. A dystopian future sci-fi show that takes place entirely in the future and is about overthrowing a tyrannical government is not my idea of a good time, is not what I ever would have wanted for Fringe. And the fact that they have gone whole hog all in for season five means that for a lot of these episodes, I could not give a fuck. I do not give a shit. And I'm sorry, bringing in Henrietta, aging her all the way up and letting me know that my favorite characters lost all of this precious time because they were stuck in amber really kind of rubs me the wrong way. And people are going to go. I mentioned last week on the pod, I think Fringe should have ended with that season four finale. And watching this episode, there are some fun moments, but I still really feel the same way. I do not care about this future scenario almost at all. And having everybody run around dodging observers and Walter being kidnapped, it just starts to give me a headache at a certain point thinking this is not the show that I have watched for four seasons at all. These characters, and even because everyone's been through so much trauma, the characters don't even sound like themselves in this episode to my ears because Olivia is disoriented. Walter is disoriented. We are not in that comfort zone which is fine. I do like when shows stretch and try and move beyond, but when they move so far beyond that they're barely recognizable is when I, I start to get a little bit itchy and, and uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, for me, going into this first episode of the final season of Fringe, I was very, very, very like, really? Now, now I don't, now, now I don't hate, well, well, that's going to be a lie because there, there are going to be things that I hate about this final season. But I don't, I don't hate with the, I, I kind of understand, I kind of understand what they were trying to do with this final season of Fringe. 
But with that being said, I don't agree with what they did. I, I don't I, I I wish they would have done something else. I wish that I wish that in last season they would have introduced a bigger threat and then possibly in this season have our team have to work with the observers to get rid of this bigger threat. Because like you said last week, it seems so odd that that the observers would eventually become our masters or the observers would become like the evil empire from Star Wars when the observers since day one all they all, all they've ever done is watch they, they've never they've never directly interacted with human beings they've always watched history they they they, they haven't felt the need to interact with it. so it's so watching this episode to me it really bang home the point that you were bringing up last week that this kind of doesn't make sense for the, for to have the observers be the ultimate big bad of the show. But I do think you are onto something where I would be much more engaged if this was team fringe and the observers have to team up and the observers have to stop observing to take down some sort of greater threat. And I know that you end up loving Henrietta, but for me, we didn't need another lead on this show. We finally have Peter and Olivia back together, happy. I don't need a time jump. I don't need to age up a baby to be a, another lead on a show that already had too many leads to begin with because we always sideline someone for an entire episode because we can't have four leads on these cases that we're adding a fifth lead to the show doesn't feel like the solution to me. And as we go on, I probably will start to warm up to Henrietta, but it almost feels like network notes were like, oh, we did some testing and people don't find Anna Torv as hot as they did four years ago. Can we get another hot blonde on the show? And J.H. Wyman was like, I guess. And then this was the way they did it. So I'm just, you know, scratching my head why we felt the need to do such an extreme reset that, you know, as we go, there will be more elements of the fringe that I like that come to the fore. But in this first episode back, especially, it really shows me how much the show has changed. And it's not something I'm super into. But I do like the moments that carry over from what we have seen before. In the final scene of last season, September comes to Walter and says, they are coming. This is bad. And what happened off screen is that September and Walter devised a plan, a plan that will somehow work to save the day and neutralize the observers. But of course, Walter being Walter, his brain scrambled to shit. And we do not have this plan when Walter has been pulled out of the amber. He can't remember it. So we have to find this device that will hopefully unlock these memories. And we're lucky that Walter doesn't necessarily have the memories because he does get interrogated by Windmark and those moments are kind of cool and it's rough seeing John Noble all beat up and being interrogated. But I think it's it's interesting that we're back to, you know, Walter's broken brain being a big problem that Team Fringe is going to have to solve. But then also you're a little bit frustrated because I know September and Walter are buddies, but why wouldn't September when he came back in that final scene say, hey, Walter, call your son who actually has a non-broken brain and let's run this plan down with someone whose brain isn't unreliable before I bounce out of this place. So that's like, uh, okay, this guy told the unreliable guy the plan. What the fuck is this? 
Yeah, um, some of the some of the plotting to September's reasoning for only discussing the grand plan with Walter is suspect because, like you said, Walter's brain is like that of a child. You t- you you tell him something now, and about ten minutes later, he goes, "What? We we, we didn't talk about that." So it's so it's very suspect that an observer of September's caliber would trust Walter with this earth with this critical piece of information and not want to tell somebody else. The other thing that I found really, really intriguing about this episode was the fact that uh, Broyles is is nowhere to be seen. Nina is nowhere to be seen. And then I remembered what you just said at the beginning of our podcast. You you go adding adding someone else, you know, forces forces some of the characters that we've been following for for five years to be put on the background. So I'm like, hmm. What what happened to them? Did they die, or are they, they going to come into the story at some point? Because it felt very odd to have a season premiere without Broyers, or without Rose, or without Nina, for that matter. Um, but the moments that I really appreciated, uh, the moments that I really connected with, and I appreciated uh, most about this opening episode, was the moment when Etta, uh, Etta, Peter, and Astrid go and get Olivia from the Amber. Basically, they. They they force her out of the amber that she's been imprisoned in by using this little gizmo, and that entire scene of Anantor trying to get reoriented, and then this and then figuring out that Etta is there all grown up is amazing. I thought I thought that um, now granted, Matt already said it. I'm a huge Etta stand, so whatever she does this season, Matt's going to be a negative one, and I'm probably going to find the positive in it, but. But 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 with that being said, I thought that this scene was tremendously well acted. I felt the emotion. I I even started to cry at some points. I mean I mean that I mean that's how emotional I got during that scene. Also, I felt I felt really really bad for John Noble when he was getting inter- when he was getting interrogated by Winmark, because I was like, you know what, John Noble is a really really good actor, but but for Walter. For most of the series, he's been playing the funny guy. I mean, he he has had chances to play a serious version of Walter with Walternet, but we've never seen him really stretch himself. And I felt in that particular scene where he's getting interrogated for the information was just phenomenal because, I mean, those moments with him in the chair resisting the observer probing into his mind were just fucking great. With all that being said, though, I felt a little bit lost in this episode. I felt that this episode was missing a whole lot of shit. And I and I, I was I was trying to figure out what the hell it was. And I was like, you know what it was? We don't we we haven't seen a whole bunch of shit. Like like J.H. Wyman hasn't shown us how our fringe team ended up in this future. So it for so so for me it was like watching an episode and a half because they were referencing things that we we didn't see. They referenced the situation with Peter that they sort of that they sort of glanced over at the beginning when, when when Peter decided to leave Olivia, Walter, and Astrid because they couldn't deal with the with with the with the reality of losing Etta, which 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 in the grand scheme, which in the grand scheme of things, didn't mean a fucking thing because she's right there. Uh, you know, you know, a grown-up version of her of her is right there. But this episode felt really, really, really it felt like it was missing pieces, and that was extremely frustrating to me. Yeah, that was frustrating, and I think we're going to get some of it in the flashbacks because we do, as I've said earlier, we do have that flashback to the day where everything went bad 
But my main frustration is that the staging of that flashback, they're like having a picnic in the park and all of a sudden the observers start to arrive. Everybody starts to panic and somehow they lose Etta. But it didn't make any sense because Joshua Jackson was like 10 feet away from her. And all he has to do is run and put her over his shoulder and they get the fuck out of there. But he's like, come on. And then like, there's some chaos. And I was like, they needed to stage this better for me to realize how she got lost. Cause it felt like Olivia and Peter were just being lazy and didn't want to run the 50 meters to go scoop the daughter up, which made no goddamn sense. That then the fact that this is such a key point that back in 2016 or whatever, this is the thing that led to all these events is because Etta got lost. I'm just like, you guys needed to do a better job in staging that and making it actually look chaotic and terrifying and for me to understand how they actually lost her because it just looked like they were too lazy to run across a field. And I was like, I know that we wanted this picturesque picnic, but it would have been so much better if we had done something where like they were downtown New York and it ended up being like a mass panic and I could understand how they lost her, but they lost her in an empty field. I'm like, what in the absolute hell is this? We're hanging the whole season on this scene. So that frustrated me. I did like that when we are in 2036, you know, in that Letters of Transit, we unfroze Peter and, and Astrid from the Amber. And we were wondering, where's Olivia? And that is the, the first thing they have to solve in the first half of this episode is where is Olivia? Because she is trapped in Amber somewhere, but she is not with the others and they have to go and find her. And they're tracking her down and they get to where they think she's going to be. And they realize that there are these Amber thieves who cut people out of the amber and then sell them on the black market. And I thought this was actually one of the cool things that this episode did that I liked. Seeing this future where people are like trophies that can be bought and sold, because this is presumably a, a future where they don't know that the people trapped in amber aren't dead. They are actually alive and trapped in there. A lot of people, that wasn't common knowledge in the alternate universe, and I don't think that's common knowledge here. And we do find out as they do some backroom dealings and bribing, they realize that it was Markham who bought Olivia and he's using her as a goddamn coffee table. And so I thought that was interesting that we're bringing back a character that we know and he felt drawn to Olivia. Now, in the timeline that he's in, he only met Olivia once because they had that run in at the bookstore. So it's not the Markham that actually had a longstanding relationship with Peter and Olivia. This is more of a creepy, like obsessed, weird Markham. And I did like when they get there and they're like, you're using her as a goddamn coffee table. Are you kidding me? What are you thinking as that's where Olivia Dunham has been for 20 years holding this dude's coffee? That really pissed me off because like you said, if it was Markham from our universe, it would make more sense. But presumably it was a Markham from the from the remix universe, as I, as, as, you know, you know, as I grew to call it. And that Markham only met Olivia once. So by that statute, this guy shouldn't be acting like a complete lunatic after meeting a woman one time. But, but with that being said, it was a cool visual once we got into his apartment and he saw the giant amber block with Olivia being used as a coffee table. I was like, son of a bitch, you fucking use her as a coffee table? Get out of here with that shit. Um, but, but you know what, but you know what, I, I really appreciated when they, you know, you know, when Peter and, 
and uh, Edda showed up at Markham's place, right? Like Markham is going crazy. He's 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 pouring out he's pouring out his affection for Olivia, and Peter and Edda don't even care. All they did was pick up pick up the goddamn thing, put it in a truck, and take off. Like like I love the fact that they didn't even listen to the listen to the guy. The, the the guy was obviously disturbed, but they didn't give a shit. They just came there for Olivia. They they, they got her and they ran. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing that I was kind of digging at me. So, you know, as we said, this alternate Markham had only seen Olivia once. And there is still room for us to find out that they went back to the bookstore before they were frozen in the amber. But also when Olivia is woken up out of the amber and she sees Edda and they have their touching moment. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're grown. It to me, it only feels like two months have passed and they have this touching moment. But if you'll recall in the Aaron and Sean Ashmore episode, that dude who was frozen for a decade when he was unfrozen from the amber, he said he was aware of the entire every day, 10 years of being frozen. He was aware of it. So why is they're doing a retcon here where like somehow, even though Team Fringe has been frozen for 20 years, it only feels like two months. But that's not the information that we established. I guess they could just say this is new timeline rules for the Amber because that was alternate universe where the guy was like every moment was excruciating because I felt every minute of the entire 10 years and couldn't do anything. And in this, Olivia's like, I can't believe you're grown to me. It's only been like two months where it should feel like 20 fucking years. I would I would postulate that even though we have that information about the way that time passes if you're encased in amber i would postulate now this is weak but i'm but but, but i'm just trying to give you i'm just i'm trying i'm just trying to give you another possibility here it is possible that olivia could have gone into some sort of now this is just dumb but it is possible that olivia could have gone into like some sort of like she like, went in, she went into a fugue state so that she wouldn't go insane or something, which actually tracks because I don't want an Olivia who who has been trapped in purgatory for 20 years because you would be mentally completely fucked. Like, I'm sure it would be awful. And I'm sure all of these people would be wrecked beyond comprehension after spending so much time trapped that I get why they did it. But, you know, for a sci fi show, canon is the thing that fans live and die on. So whenever you retcon something, I just feel we need to point it out, even if it's not like a, an episode ruiner or like a thing that really sticks out to me. I just felt like it is a little bit weird that there's a couple of things we're just like, you guys forget everything you have ever seen before. And let's just go full steam ahead into this. The observers are evil and we got to get Walter's memory back with the Transilience thought unifier. So let's forget everything you knew before. Yeah, the other thing, the other thing that I found really odd, like, like I, I, I understood why she had it, but it was just, it was just sort of odd to me. The fact that Etta has the bullet that Walter took out of Olivia's brain when, when Walt, when, when Walter shot her, but Etta has the broken bullet as a, as a necklace. And I'm like, huh, that's a little strange, but I guess, okay, you want to feel close to your mom? Have the bullet that was in her brain. Like, um, again, again, I am not, listen, I love Etta and I love some of the things that J.H. Wyman does, but watching this episode today really affirmed to me that I'm really not going to like this, the, the way that the show ends, because I don't understand why they chose this way to end it. 
I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, by this point, they, I mean, by the end of season four, they probably knew that they were headed for the end anyway. So it's like, come on, guys, really? That's what you thought of? I really think that they just felt like they had nothing left to lose. So they might as well do something that interested the writers in the room. And I, like I said, I do appreciate a big swing. I really do. But when I started watching Fringe, it wasn't for this dystopian futuristic show. It was for the cousin of the X-Files with some funny, messed up, fringy stuff and some humor. So it's just, it's a, a bridge really far from where we started. But there are some cool moments in the sci-fi thing. So I did like this whole story of this device that they think is going to be able to unlock Walter's mind. And one thing that I, I started to wonder during the credits, we actually see that this episode had two directors. Um, so Janote Swarks, who has done a ton of episodes and actually directs episode two. So I feel like they probably collapsed a few scenes from episode two of this season into this or got him to do it. And the other director is Miguel. My wife has to be a producer on this show where I quit Sapochnik from Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon fame. Um, so there are like a, a few nice showy moments and I really do like that in the, the Walter torture scene is really well cut. So we get a lot of tension and a lot of, you know, building within a small confined space that we feel that and having them have this magic device that they think is going to basically save the day and then finding out, ah, this device is shit. It's not working because this guy is unsalvageable. I did like that. That's where we got to go. We've got to, again, a member of team fringe is crucial into stopping the big bad event and something is going to get in the way. And this time it's Walter's turn. So it's finding a way to get this plan back out of Walter is the, the forward momentum for the rest of at least this early part of the season. So I did, I did like that overall, that that's what we're doing. We're centralizing one of the characters to make it personal that the way to stop the apocalypse involves personal stakes. You know, like I mentioned last week, we did it with Peter and the machine. We did it with Olivia and powering the collapse. And now we are doing it with Walter being the linchpin to stopping the observers from enslaving humanity. The other thing that I'm really interested about is to see if they're going to delve more into the reason why Peter decided to abandon the team when he did. And I'm really interested. I'm really interested to see if there are going to be any lingering feelings from it, there's obviously lingering feelings from Walter because at one point he calls it up, but I'm I'm really sure to see if there are going to be any lingering feelings from Olivia in the fact that Peter basically left because he couldn't deal. And in my mind, our Peter Bishop, the one that we've come to know and love for the past five seasons, would never do that. No matter no matter no matter what the hell happened, he would never leave Olivia Denham. So 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 that to me was like. What the hell are you doing, Weinman and crew? It's a tough pill to swallow because especially through everything they had been through to finally get together and overcome everything at the end of season four, you would think that that would be an unbreakable bond going forward, that even if the worst happened to them, it wouldn't be their separation that would be the way to deal. It would be getting closer together to deal. And that, again, is a writer's convenience thing that we just have to accept that there's 
things that happened to the character that we saw off screen. And it is one of those things that as a fan is frustrating. And it happens in lots of media, like not to go off on a, a totally different tangent. But when you watch Ghostbusters Afterlife and you're like, Egon Spangler abandoned his family and the Ghostbusters to stop the apocalypse. How does this track? But you just have to go with it. Otherwise, you can't you can't move on with the story that's at hand. So it is so frustrating that Peter would do that. But uh, that's one of those things, just like all these small nitpicks I've pointed out, I'm going to have to check into a box in the back of my mind and say, it's not important for the story at hand. Just forget about it and move on. But I do like that in typical fringe fashion, this episode does end with a music cue and then Walter spying a, a single dandelion growing up. And it's saying like, you know, even in the darkest of places, sometimes beautiful things can happen. And that's kind of been a running theme throughout Fringe and a lot of a lot of sci-fi shows. You know, when you're in the darkness, look to the light. So they do end it on some sort of hopeful moment, even though at this moment, it seems like all is lost. With that being said, I, I, I thought that this was a frustrating but interesting way to start the final season of Fringe. Moving forward, what are you looking forward to? As I said last week, I haven't rewatched these episodes since they aired. So I didn't love it when it aired. I still obviously bought the Blu-rays because I was collecting Fringe. So I dusted them off the shelf the other night to give this a spin. So I am hoping that despite my early complaints, somehow I will get back into the groove and get on the same page with them, even if one of my main pet peeves is a series finale that only addresses continuity that started at the beginning of a season rather than tying back to the overall long-running thing of an entire series, which I called out when we did Lost, how the, the finale, while beautiful and moving, was mainly solving a problem that we didn't even know about until the start of season six. And as I recall in my memory... The series finale of Fringe also only seems to rectify a problem that we didn't even know existed until Letters in Transit, which is something that as a season finale, I'm fine with as a series finale, I have issues with. But I'm hoping that by the time we get there in a few weeks, maybe I will have come around and it'll be a sweeter pill to swallow than my 10 year memory reaching back. Yeah, um, I'm I'm really looking forward to. Now, Matt, you're going to shoot me, but I'm really looking forward to the dynamics between Etta, Olivia, and Peter, because I'm interested to see how that is going to play on me this time around. Because like I said previously, if there's one thing that I, if there's one thing that I'm noticing as we've been going through Fringe here, my memory isn't serving me well. There's a lot of things that as we were watching these seasons go by, there's a lot of things that I thought I liked, but in, in further inspection and further analysis, I'm like, uh, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. So I'm really interested to see if my original ideas and my original positives about this about the season will hold. And, uh, and I, I'm interested to see if I'm going to be a little bit more like you towards the end of uh, this final season when we get there. But, um, but um, I think that'll do it uh, for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, guys, if you like anything that we do here and you want to reach out to us for suggestion, comments, or whatever, there are a couple ways that you can reach out to us. First, you can reach out to us by just simply using the hashtag on Twitter, Radio 815, or you can reach out to us 
Uh, on our personal Twitter page, it's JJUniverse815. If you want to talk to me personally, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the folks at home want to reach out to you and talk to you about anything, what would be the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So with all that being said, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to our episodes, our back episodes on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Radio 5. And thank you for just listening in general. So until next week, as I often say, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.